Translation and performed by His Divine Grace, Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada Pijat. The yogis who become detached from the world by practice of breathing exercises and control of the mind reach the planet of Brahman, which is far, far away. After giving up their bodies, they enter into the body of Lord Brahma. And therefore, when Brahma is liberated and goes to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is the Supreme Brahman, such yogis can also enter into the kingdom of God. Please repeat. The yogis who become detached from the material world by practice of breathing exercises and control of the mind reach the planet of Brahma, which is far, far away. After giving up their bodies, they enter into the body of Lord Brahma. And therefore, when Brahma is liberated and goes to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is the Supreme Brahma, such yogis can also enter into the kingdom of God. By perfecting their yogic practice, yogis can reach the highest planet, Brahmaloka or Satyaloka. And after giving up their material bodies, they can enter into the body of Lord Brahma. Because they are not directly devotees of the Lord, they cannot get liberation directly. They have to wait until Brahma is liberated. And only then, along with Brahma, are they also liberated. It is clear that as long as a living entity is a worshipper of a particular demigod, his consciousness is absorbed in thoughts of that demigod. And therefore, he cannot get direct liberation or entrance into the kingdom of God. Nor can he merge into the increasing conscience of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Such yogis or demigod worshippers are subjected to the chance of taking birth again when there is again creation. Such yogis 
can also enter into the kingdom of God. So everyone likes to think of a bright and prosperous future. Um, we like to live happily ever after, perhaps, an eternal life of bliss and knowledge. Would you? Yes? I would. <laughs> yeah, and um, we try our best to make provision for that in so many ways, you know, like getting an education, amassing different opulences, those six opulences that Krishna has, we try to amass them in this world, and we try to get pleasure from them, these external objects, because we're unwilling to um, come to terms with this phenomenon of mortality. We don't want, we feel that we can't be extinguished, that guttural feeling is there. You know, um, what the gut feeling is, we say visceral feeling is there. So we have this unwillingness to allow life to end. We want it to go on and we want to have a bright future always. We don't want uh, life to end with the demise of the body. So we're trying different ways and means to combat that. You know, in so many different fields in life. And is there any, is it reasonable to hope for survival, to hope for this a perfect destination that we would like? But Kapila Dev, he's answering uh, that question and he's saying, actually, yes. Um, we don't perish, that we survive, and not only do we survive, but we have a very bright destination. But it depends a lot upon us, what we want. So, in some way, we have agency of our lives. We have, um, we have responsibility, and we have the opportunity of choice. We can choose what our destination should be like. So even this biblical saying, like, as you make your bed, I think it's from the Bible, as you make your bed, so shall you lie on it. It's the very same truth that's there in Srimad Bhagavatam, that according to our activities and our mentality, our consciousness and our lifestyle, we get a um, karmic uh, reaction to suit. So however we are, however the movements of the living entities are in this material world, we get a certain um, response from the laws of the universe which are coming from the Supreme Lord. As you make your bed, so shall you lie. So Kapila Dev, he's given examples of different types of uh, living entities, their behavior, their mindset, their mentality, and they get a destination to suit. For example, in this chapter, he begins talking about those uh, who are in family life, their homemakers, their householders, and um, this type of people, they are selfish, they're materialistic, they may uh, perform some dharma, some sort of semblance of dharma, but why are they really um, being religious? or church going because they want to be uh, happy and prosperous. So they do the Dharma to get the Artha, that's the economic development. 
get the means by which to acquire um, things for karma, for sense gratification. And if that doesn't work out, then they go to moksha, uh, whatever their ideas of liberation. So there's those sorts of a lot of people, they are entangled in fruitive activities, just like we see the, um, the theme of this chapter is entanglement in fruitive activities. It's referring to that uh, category of people who are sense gratifiers. They're called the lilies. <coughs> so uh, the first four verses of this chapter, Kapila Devi is describing such people. And then he continues talking about people who are the opposite of such people, the sense gratifiers. They are not the lilies. What are they called? What's the opposite? The Grehastas. The Grehastas. <laughs> Thank you. So the, the Grehastas, um, unlike the Grehastas, the Grehastas, they are, or they are supposed to be, devotees of Krishna. So they engage in devotional service and they mold their lifestyle in such a way that eventually their consciousness is purified. He describes such people. He says they are executing their occupational duties. They are not neglecting their family life. They are acting with detachment and without a sense of proprietorship or false egoism. And so such people, they become posted in their constitutional position, which is being eternal servant of Krishna by dint of complete purification of consciousness. And he says such people, um, fortunately for them, they are devotees, their destination is very glorious. He says they can easily enter into the kingdom of God. Because one might wonder, well, I don't know where to begin, I don't know what to do, it seems very difficult. It's such a, a monumental task, even being conscious of God, far more to enter into the kingdom of God. So although everyone survives and nobody perishes ever, Lord Kapiladeva saying there's different destinations for different types of people. Those who are materialistic, their destination is they come back again, like in the Ferris wheel. They're going up perhaps to the heavenly planets, but then eventually they come back down when their pious friends are exhausted. So and then he's saying these other people, the devotees, the devotee grihastas, their destination, uh, they, they achieve it very easily by engaging in bhakti yoga, in devotional service, and they can enter the kingdom of God. It's not very difficult for them. But then, in this verse today, he's talking about another type of people who do not follow the path of the Grihastas. He's talking about, talking about a certain type of yogi, a certain type of yogi who don't approach the Lord directly, but they go to a, a great demigod like Lord Rama. And um, it is noteworthy that all yogis are not created equal. There's different types of yogis. There's many, many different kinds of yogis. Prabhupada refers to that fact in the purport of the Yogyamati Sarvasham verse um, in 647, isn't it, in the Bhagavad Gita? You see, there's different types of yogis. We learn about 
the yogi is concentrating on Paramatma, that type of yogi. Uh, what other types of yogis can you add? What other types of yogis are there? Any type of yogi at all, because there's many different types of yogis. First of all, Prabhupada establishes in that paper of 647, he says, um, there's only one yoga. That one yoga is bhakti yoga. That's the real yoga. And all different types of yoga are just progressions on that path to ultimately achieve bhakti yoga. So he mentions that uh, there's different types of yogis and they achieve different destinations. So I mentioned one who's meditating on Paramatma. So can you think of some other types of yogis? Besides the jnani, the jnani yogi, yes. Karma yogi, the karma yogi. Then this modern age. Mystic yogi. Mystic yogi. In this day and age, what type of yogis do we have? Hatha. Hatha yogis. And that Hatha is coming from which type of yoga? Uh, Ashtanga yoga. yoga. Yes, Ashtanga yoga. So these particular yogis um, we're seeing here, they, um, they take shelter. It's very interesting. I was quite surprised when I read the verse to see that they actually enter into the body of Lord Brahma. So Lord Brahma's body is definitely quite marvelous. Not that only is it composed of pure intelligence, but he can accommodate all these different living entities in totality within his body. So um, these yogis, they're saying here that, oh, Kapiyoga is saying, that they become detached from the material world by practice of breathing exercises and control of the mind. So from that, one can see that it appears that they're not into bhakti yoga. They're not bhakti yoga. And then the, the purple Prabhupada saying, um, they are not directly devotees of the Lord. And because they're not directly devotees of the Lord, their destination seems a bit uncertain. It seems a bit unsure. In the first place, it's the very first sentence in the purple, Prabhupada saying, by perfecting their yogic practice, yogis can reach the highest plan of Brahmaloka. So for them, they have to perfect their yogic practice. And then they may be able to make it to Brahmaloka, it's not, it happens very easily. So there's difficulty there. Difficult path, which is not, it's non-bhakti. So it's difficult, they have, they have to perfect the practice. Then they may make it, they can make it to the highest planet. Now after they give up their material bodies, they, they can enter into the body of Lord Brahma. And we see the, um, auxiliary here, can, they can enter. It's not actually certain that they even make it enter Lord Brahma's body. So there's more difficulty. And then they have to wait inside Brahma's body and who knows what state they, they're in. If they're in a state of suspension or catatonic state, <laughs> what 
then they may not necessarily go back to the same destination as Lord Brahma. So coming back to this point about liberation, when Brahma achieves liberation, and we might take it for granted that he achieves liberation, but not necessarily. In the first place, there's not one Lord Brahma as we know. It's a course, it's a status. And different living entities, if they're qualified, like if someone looks for a hundred, what is it, lifetimes, <coughs> becomes a perfect karmiyogi, uh, he's qualified to get the host of Brahma. So if one is, first of all, usually Lord Brahma is Jiva Kappa. He's not Vishnu Kappa, unless there's no one to fill the post. But usually Brahma is a Jiva, a Jiva, um, is Jiva Kappa, and um, he's given that position if he's qualified to get that position. But sometimes, Prabhupada mentions later on again, in text 15, this is text 10, he says sometimes Brahma may not be a pure devotee. So then he can't help all these people adhering to him, like these uh, yogis. These yogis have a lot of desires and they're going to Brahma and worshiping him as a demigod. So um, Brahma, Brahma may not necessarily be a pure devotee. His devotion may be mixed. And it could be Karma And one might wonder how. And sometimes um, devotees will not clearly understand it when they ask about that. Like, how come maybe an assumption might be there that Lord Mark, he might not be a pure devotee, but he's very, very pure or pure us. And Prabhupada said, in one sense, that is true. And one should be respectful. And there are different Brahmas too, with different levels of Krishna consciousness. So he explained that in order to get such an exalted pose, one has to have some bhakti, some percentage of bhakti. But sometimes, as we say in the purport of text 15, um, these Gunavatas, even Lord Shiva and Lord Brahma, they might have uses with a slight inclination. They might have a slight inclination to feel that they are independent of Krishna or even equal to Vishnu and Trinity. And because of that, their service is not pure, like in the case of Brahma. Just even thinking, Prabhupada says, even being in the material world and doing service here, it means that Brahma is not a pure devotee. It means that he has material desires, thinking, he's thinking to himself, I want to create. I want to be a creator. I want to be a controller. And if that desire remains and it festers and he degrades, then definitely one um, he is not returning back home back to Godhead. So uh, Papa talks about that in uh, text 15, then further on in Srimad Bhagavatam in um, in Canto 11, 11 through 12, there's more talk about Brahma and the, the different types of consciousness, 
different Brahmas may have. And the Acharyas may comment on that. Like, for example, Sri Swami, he's saying that um, Brahma might not necessarily go back to Godhead. He might have to wait some time for his liberation. So you have all these souls, they're waiting there within Brahma, the movies, and plus, if he's not liberated, then we have to come right back to him. So choose your choose your guru, choose whoever is your worshipable deity very wisely. So Shiva Swami says, yes, uh, we're not accompanied by his followers, we have to come right back um, to the material realm. Because if Brahma is like a perfect harmony, or the highest harmony, then he have to return for purification. He does not go back to God. And if he is the most perfect speculative philosopher, he will attain, actually Sri Narasamu says that, that he will attain the personal Brahman. Again, personal liberation. He won't go back to Godhead. So he and his followers will achieve that. And um, he concludes in his comments, Sri Narasamu saying, that proves that any material position he had in the world, it might be the greatest. I mean, Lord Brahma is the chief of the Delhi-Gas, He's the best of the Delhi-Gas. But no matter how great your position is, it doesn't guarantee that you will go back home, back to Godhead, and enjoy an eternal life of bliss and knowledge if, if the bhakti is not it, the pure devotional service. So the Srimad Bhagavatam is actually advising us that uh, it's very, very important for us if we, if we want to have a, a bright future for ourselves. We want to get the best for ourselves. And in this world, we try to do that by uh, finding out about things. We're doing some research, we're checking, we're seeing ratings, surveys, this and that, because we want the best for ourselves. But somehow, when it comes to something like spiritual life, it seems a bit abstract and not that much interest is there in really finding out what is bona fide and what is not. So Srila Bhagavatam and Lord Kapiladev, they're directing us and showing that spiritual life decides our future and uh, decides the type of destination we will achieve. So it's very, very important for us to uh, choose the infallible, choose um, someone who will direct us and who will lead us to that imperishable destination of going back home, back to Godhead. So I just wanted to pause here for a while if there are any questions at this point on what they said. Yes. I had a question about Bodhima. <clears throat> I know I've heard that, uh, and I just don't know if this is stated anywhere in Shastra, but that living entities first, when they enter into the material world, become Brahma in one universe. And then they, uh, from there, they basically go down and down and down and down. Um, so is that? Have you heard that anywhere in Shastra or? Uh, I don't 
someone comes as the mom, then uh, they're not really getting that much in. I mean, one lifetime of the mom is a long time, I guess. But it's, it's uh, pretty good to just, to just come as the mom and go back to God. Yeah, but well, the first place, like well, the last job, like in the beginning, he, he didn't know what to do. What to get, where to locate the planets, where to put them, and where to place living entities, um, you know, ap appropriately where they deserve to go according to the combination of modes and material nature of the living, where to place them. Uh, whom should I put in the earthly planets? Like, who deserves to go to the higher planets? He just didn't know what to do at all. So he was helpless and he took shelter of Krishna and Krishna helped him. And then he saw he was fully dependent, that's in Brahma and Srimad Bhagavatam and such description is given. So then he saw he had no other recourse than to take shelter of someone who could help him. And um, Krishna, Krishna pacified him, he said, don't be so worried about it, you know. And Krishna, in his form as a powerful boy, he shook hands with Krishna, that's there in the Brahma Samhita. He shook hands with, uh, with Lord Brahma and uh, congratulated him. And he was just like urging him on and on to do his service. So it's quite a, a, a challenging service that, that Lord Brahma has. And then he saw that he actually was helpless. And this Brahma, he saw that I have to take shelter of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And thus he composed these very beautiful verses in surrender and glorification of Krishna. So we see in that case where Lord Brahma um, from experiential knowledge, he's realizing that there's someone greater than me, he's the greatest, Govinda Tadipurusham, Tamaham Bajami, and he becomes a, a pure devotee. He comes to that realization, it's a, he came to the realization that um, he's a maid servant of Krishna, so he got that realization. So he came, it's not like he came and he did his thing, he couldn't even do his thing. He didn't know what to do. It's like, you want to be the creator? You want to be controller? Okay, try. You don't know where to begin. You don't know where to start from. I just remember, I got the service of Tosi, taking care of her by default. And I was thinking, why do you take care of Tosi? Well, I never took care of a plant and then, they all just drooped down and they were staying so for a long while. I didn't know what to do. I just, I just didn't know where to begin, what to do. And I was trying and trying and I was still with devotees. And somehow I knew to see kind of flop down because of my attitude. It was my fault. And it took a while for her to perk up again. So sometimes we, we might get a service and think, oh, I can handle it, but it's fine. And then we realize, like, without the help, without the help of the devotees, we, uh, how can we learn? How can we improve? 
how can we make an iota advancement? Anything else? Uh, I like the point that we should pick our our guides and gurus carefully because uh, the yogi in this verse for four is um, they're taking shelter of Brahma and so they're getting the benefit of whatever kind of advancement and level of advancement he has. Um, and so and you give you give like help us understand the different destinations for persons who take shelter of different personalities, um, such as Brahma who's a Gyani, Brahma who's a, a Paramatma yogi and Brahma who can be a pure bodhi. So um, that definitely applies to everybody actually who's taking the spiritual life that we actually have to accept authority and by their advancement in their position in, in relationship to Krishna and one of his teachers, we actually get benefit. So based on that, um, one question I've often received, I'm sure that you have your um, opinion on, is so if somebody's supposed to understand the qualifications of their guru before taking shelter, uh, or as they take shelter, perhaps it's simultaneous, um, how, are they, how are they to do that when they're still so, I mean, taking shelter of a guru is actually quite a preliminary thing, you know? We can't understand the Shastra independently. We can, we can try to understand some things, but how can one understand the qualifications of a guru in order to take shelter of them so they can make further advancement? And beforehand, they have some knowledge of the criteria, you say? Well, I mean, what is the, what is the position of somebody who wants to take shelter of a guru and, and asks, okay, how do I know if they're advanced? What, 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 because I don't have the benefit of the guru to help me understand what the qualifications of the guru are. It seems like a kind of a catch-22 thing. It seems like. What would you say about that? Yeah, I'm just remembering what Papa said when someone was asking him, they're saying like, oh, so you do need a guru? And he said, yes. And then they were kind of trying to repeat something he said about Vatu and Vani. Well, but you don't really need a guru uh, personally. You, you have the books, you have the team. He said, no, guru must be there too. Personal touch, guru must be there. It's very important, especially in, in the beginning and throughout. <coughs> and, and so, to find out if one is really advanced, uh, our teacher, uh, I'm thinking in the material world, if, if you want a teacher for anything, for academics, for learning to play a, a drum or whatever, you find out a person's qualifications and, and you know who to ask. If you don't ask the person's friends, then it becomes political, right? You know, you, you inquire around, you, you ask them. First of all, you have to know, like, uh, what is expert drumming? What are my goals? What are my objectives? So there's inquiry, and then there is also practical association and experience. Reputation, one can, one can um, consider the person's reputation, but still one has to find out for oneself. So that's why um, there is a gurukul. The gurukul is there where the students, they stay at the gurukul, and they have this direct association with the teacher, the spiritual master. So, um, yeah, the Vedic tradition says it's so vitally important, even more important than the, cho the choice of a spouse 
the choice of a guru. So my opinion is like, we pray to God, we pray to Krishna, please help me to find my, my spiritual master. We, we pray very earnestly. And not only do we pray, but we act or we uh, just open ourselves and prepare ourselves in a way that Krishna will see that we really want to earn a serious person, uh, a sincere guru. So that way of opening ourselves, you know, to be like an open vessel to imbibe the teachings of the guru, we can do that by engaging in heartfelt service, you know, trying to practice whatever we've learned, our sadhana, and um, getting that association with the spiritual master, service to the spiritual master, and actually they observe each other, they check out each other. It's not only the guru who's uh, looking at the disciple, the perspective disciple, but vice versa. How does the guru interact, I dare say, how does the guru interact with um, other disciples? How does he interact with me? How does he interact with his god brothers and god sisters, or with people in general, you know? And we're looking, it seems like a clinical and personal way, but um, still, there's nothing wrong with that. One can check and see if the person is fulfilling the requirements of, um, of being a spiritual master. I had a like, hours conversation with one lady recently whose uh, father-in-law was a guru in our society. <laughs> yes. So, yes, sometimes externally it might seem like one is fulfilling the role of the spiritual master, but internally, you know, like inside it might be something completely different. And, um, but in the end, one is never lost. Prabhupada um, was asked, is there a time where we have ever lost, not just the Hare Krishna devotee, anybody in any form of body left? Is there a time when we have ever lost that? No. There is never a time we lost. Because Krishna is always there. Krishna in the heart is always guiding. So yes, um, observation, they, they uh, observe each other over a period of time, you know? over a period of time and um, one should not be too fault-finding and judgmental also Prabhupada says like if the person is um, following the principles of devotional service and uh, they're trying their best according to their level of advancement you know to uh, give Krishna consciousness to others then that should be appreciated that should be accepted um, in a humble way. And um, I can't think of anything else at the moment for that. Do you want to add something? Um, no, I just appreciate that. It seems like the, the conclusion is that uh, you know, Christians in the heart will help, but we have to accept our own responsibility. For, uh, for getting educated. In other words, like we can't educate ourselves completely. That's why we need a guru, but we do have to actually accept our responsibility to 
I mean, because you mentioned you should look for somebody who has the qualifications of a devotee or of a guru. And um, we actually have to take it on ourselves and the preliminaries of those things in order to root out, I mean, in order to, to differentiate between, I mean, like an impersonalist and, and a devotee or a karmi and, a, and an impersonalist. So these are general categories of people we have to understand. You know, so it, it just seems like, a, yeah, it seems very practical because there are persons out there who want to advance and then they'll take shelter of the family guru who's basically like preaching just varnashram karma, karma. Or um, they'll take shelter of some yogi or some personalist. And so at least, uh, Krishna, it seems like Krishna at least trusts us to become educated in the preliminaries to understand what the differences are between these different categories. So, you know, I just appreciate this point that we have to, either we have to read the books or talking to persons we trust and gathering information and understanding basics um, so that because otherwise your statement that we should know what the quality, we should look for someone who's qualified would be impossible to affect. So Krishna must trust us and therefore to actually be able to do the basic preliminary things ourselves. Um, you know, we have to, in other words, yeah, we have to have a, a basic, a basic grounding in what's what. Yes, basic grounding. We, um, we didn't really think of initiation ourselves. We, uh, myself and a group of other devotees, we were just engaged in devotional service, like full-time, non-stop. And it's nice, you know, being young, doing that. And then one day they talked to us about initiation and getting a guru. And we didn't even think about that. And then, well, Prabhupada had left the planet by that time. And then um, they suggested the Zonal Guru and that we forge a relationship. So we were following that in good faith, you know, doing our service obediently. So then we started to write letters, you know, we'd write once a month, we introduced ourselves, we correspond, I'd uh, write about my Sankirtan adventures, he would like it, he would have it published, <laughs> whatever, you know, and um, so on both sides there is that uh, reciprocation, the relationship is being formed, but I think more and more, the more I think about it, and my guru Maharaj always said, you should write, you know, you should tell me how you're doing and so on. The onus is not, uh, it's, it's on both, you know, both, both people have to try to um, have a dynamic relationship. It's not one-sided, you know. And um, I'm very fortunate, more and more I think like uh, Krishna gave me the exact person, the person for me to be my spiritual master. So yeah, I consider myself lucky. Anything else anyone wants to add? A question or a reflection? I just, uh, on the point also of finding the right person and all of that, I like the analogy of uh, if you're you know, trying to learn music or go to school, there's a, there's a um, stage where you're evaluating the different institutions or the music teachers, and <clears throat> you're also seeing, you know, what they're producing, and like, um, I know that was a big one for me, like, when I 
some of the, the caliber of disciples of my spiritual master that gave me a lot of faith, actually, in him. And, um, but yeah, it's a natural um, process that one who wants to get some knowledge, they start evaluating different universities and seeing, you know, they know they don't have the knowledge, but they know what it looks like to have the knowledge. And so, um, it's not necessarily contradictory that I don't have the knowledge and therefore I can't make a decision. Um, there's two different things, it seems like. One is knowing what it looks like. And even amongst, like there might be ten different expert Madonna players, but there's one who really draws you. You know, like, yeah, I really like how that person does it like that. And I want to um, be like him. And so that's the person. And um, another thing on this topic that I think is really helpful is that it is about a, it's a personal relationship, and um, that that there, that relationship should be there to the point where, just like in all relationships, we have a certain amount of faith in the persons that they're not going to let us down. And uh, so with the guru-disciple relationship, it's like that, that the guru and disciple are developing connection. And at a certain point, the disciple feels that, okay, I can surrender to this person in good faith. And, you know, I'm ready to accept what they're telling me, even if it doesn't link up with my mental faculties. There's nothing that 
that that's lacking in Christian consciousness. We have the guru, we have the sadhus, we have shastra, the holy name. It's such a rich culture that sometimes we might get foggy and take things for granted. You know, when we become habituated in the custom. And then, you know, like when I go to India, sometimes I see how the devotees chai, radishan, and the curtain opens, and they want to get the land from the flowers, and everything is like so fresh and new. I like that, I appreciate it. I mean, why can't we be at home in our Prabhu Dhatadesh? You know, everything is special about Krishna, the darshan, you know, the arti, the pathway, the tadiya, everything. Why can't we have this ever fresh new look? Why can't we have this new appreciation? I know Wordsworth, he talked about that in one of his poems, Intimations and Good Intimations of Immortality. I remember once I was telling my literature teacher that I don't want to ever lose that freshness and appreciation. I want it to be ever present there. And he said, oh, that's just like what Wordsworth said, you know? that you want that ever fresh appreciation of Krishna consciousness, that, that it's all, and it is ever fresh. Krishna consciousness is that it's ever present, as we've seen in the previous verse. All the planets in the material world, they dissolve. Cataclysmic uh, event taking place just before, but the spiritual world, it's staying there forever, and it's, it's ever present. And you have ever new feelings, ever new service that's going on. So we want to um, to maintain and sustain that, looking at and engaging in participation, participating in Krishna consciousness, um, in that way which is ever fresh. Krishna is ever fresh. It said like every second, every moment, Krishna. He's looking, he's becoming more and more beautiful. And the, the devotees, like devotees, they have ever new feelings for him. And they're thinking of different services. Like when Gopa Kumar, he, um, he actually went to Vrindavan. He went to Goloka Vrindavan in the Brihadabha Kamita. And um, he, he was looking for Krishna. He was looking for Nanda Nandana, the son of Nanda Maharaj. And he saw a group of girls when he went there. And he asked, where is Krishna? But they didn't answer him. This is where they didn't see him. And the question was asked by the devotees, like, why didn't they answer him? And the answer was given because they're so absorbed. I think they were picking flowers. They're so absorbed in doing service to Krishna, meditating on him, that they didn't even hear the Kumar. Such was the depth of their absorption. So we pray to be like that, to be absorbed in the service of Krishna, not do it in a mechanical way like, oh, I know how to do the service, and my mind is traveling all over the place. We don't want to be like that. We want to be ever present in our service. Is there anything else? Otherwise, we can end with it. Thank you very much. Shri Bhagavatam Kija, Shri Prabhupada Kija, Jai Guru Pinayi, Hari Hari Hari.